What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, news, and notes. Every bit of fantasy baseball content we post does get shared out on Twitter through Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you guys are following us over there. And also make sure you're checking out sportsethos.com. Whether or not you have social media, sportsethos.com is where you get all of our content right from the source. Basketball, obviously, is our bread and butter. We got midseason in swing there uh, for fantasy basketball. We're like, I guess we're... Not quite halfway through yet, but we're like a third of the way through the season over there. Fantasy football is into the playoffs. we got content covering you on both of those sides. We also have fantasy hockey content, gambling, DFS, individual team coverage. We kind of have everything, so make sure you guys are checking us out over there. That's sportsethos.com. But today, we are going to continue where we had left off yesterday and the day before uh, with our starting pitcher reviews. We are going to be looking at numbers 21 through 30 on Yahoo's player ranker. That's how we are going to be doing this. Again, I've kind of talked about this, but I think Yahoo's a pretty good standard for a lot of you guys who play, whether or not you do use Yahoo or you play on ESPN or CBS. That's where most of you guys are on one of those three sites, fan tracks as well. And I think Yahoo does a decent job of giving you rankings during the season, uh, after the season ends as well. So that's what we are using here, and we are going to start it off with number 21, and that is Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, despite not being quite Verlander-esque, I guess you could say, um, I guess specifically compared to the year prior, he still ended up being very, very, very good for you this year. It was a 322 ERA over 27 starts, which was 162 innings. Now, you didn't get those usual strikeouts that you were seeing from Verlander. That is something that we have seen kind of tail off a little bit as he's gotten older. And this year, we saw it you know, get even lower than we had in the couple of years prior, where it had already been kind of tailing off. But now we're getting to a point where strikeouts are not an asset at all. And he's actually, oh, I don't really want to say a negative because he's more neutral, but 21.5 strikeout rate this year. For the career, it's 24.7 because those early years do obviously weigh into the equation. But going back since 2016, Justin Verlander had given you 28, 25, 34, 35, 33, and 27, essentially 28 last year on the K rate. So it's a huge drop. It's definitely not what you want to see. 162 innings only yielded you 144 strikeouts. And that's something at this point. It's hard to project them coming back. Justin is already about to be 41 years old. That'll be in February. And I don't know that we're going to see him really ever get back to those same heights that we did uh, once see. We're we're definitely not, right? The best of Justin Verlander is certainly in the rear view. Now, can he still be productive? Yeah, he showed us that this year. A 322 ERA is still an incredible number. It's still one of the best marks in all of baseball. But the skills have been deteriorating now for a little while. And even last year, when he had the amazing season, he shouldn't have had a 175 ERA. Like, he way overshot his advanced metrics. It wasn't a bad season, don't get me wrong, but he probably should have been somewhere closer to about a three-ish ERA, which, again, is still very good. But he's no longer the Justin Verlander that I grew up watching, the guy who was winning, you know, he won an MVP, multiple Cy Youngs, no hitters all over the place. That guy is no more. He can still be productive, but I just worry this year what the product is going to look like. We've seen him over the last couple of seasons. Since he's come back from that Tommy John surgery, not been able to reach those same heights innings-wise, 175 and 162 these last two years after having gone over 200 pretty much every season of his career. 
Uh, in 2015, he got hurt and he missed some time, and that was 133. But other than that, you're looking at 200 or more innings every year going back to 07. A lot of mileage under the belt for Verlander. And there's some talk, and there's you know it's, it's pretty commonly uh, accepted at this point, that you have maybe like a 300 to 400 kind of inning period after you come back from Tommy John surgery where your arm is going to be doing pretty well. Uh, you're going to be sh- not really showing any signs of the wear and tear um, from what the surgery did to you. You have a little bit of time there to kind of look like your old self. Uh, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not the most scientific person around, for sure. So I couldn't get into the specifics on the detail, but it's generally accepted that you have a couple of seasons after you have a Tommy John procedure where your arm is going to look like new. We've kind of exhausted that now with Verlander. The last two seasons, 175 and 162, you're looking at nearly 350 innings at 41 years old at this point. And again, having thrown... It's an astounding number, 3,300 innings in his career. I don't really know what we're going to see out of Verlander. Now, the projections think it'll be probably the worst year of his career, or at least one of them for sure. Uh, They're calling for a 421 ERA. They think the strikeout rate will bounce back up about a percentage point, but nothing really drastic there. Uh, They're also calling for a 122 whip. I don't really want to be drafting Verlander this year. I mean, I might end up on him, depending on where he ends up going. Uh, his ADP is 113 right now, and I can I can understand wanting to hit the button on Verlander after pick 100. It's the same kind of argument that we're seeing with Trout this year. It, you're not used to seeing these players go so late in draft. So there's something in your brain that's like, wow, Mike Trout in the sixth? I have to take him. Verlander in the ninth? I, I have to take him. And I definitely understand that. And it could pay off for you. Verlander could give you one more season. There might be one more year in the, you know, in the holster there where he can give you 165, 170 innings of like a 3 to 3.2 kind of ERA. And at that point, it's going to be worth this draft price. But I think we're, we're also at the point where we can probably project that the end is very, very close for Verlander. There's a good chance this is going to be his last season I'm not 100% sure we're going to see the arm hold up to even give you a full season's worth of games. And even if he does, I don't know that it's going to be something that you're going to really want to invest in. So 113 seems nice with a 49 minimum. That's a brutal one. And 164 maximum pick. I just can't really get behind it, especially because the price isn't probably going to be going too far either way, right? We've talked about how the prices of pitchers go up closer to the start of the season. That's generally what always happens. Not every single pitcher, but for the most part, a lot of these guys are going to be pushed up a round or two as people, especially in the high-stakes drafts, want to secure a couple of aces, and then that kind of trickles down. And then you have a guy like Verlander with a 113 ADP who's going to probably end up going inside of the top 100 a good amount of the time. And even right now, you're seeing him go inside of the top 100 occasionally. It does happen. Usually, you're looking at just outside of that range, but again, considering the price is probably going to go even farther up, like I wouldn't even really want him at this price. But if we are starting to push top 100 range, I can't see myself being too interested in Justin Verlander. He's had an amazing career. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But there comes a point where you have to say, I don't think it's worth the risk. If he's going 50 picks later than this, you know, you're talking like 10th, 11th round, then I'd take a chance. But it's never going to happen just because of the name value himself that Verlander brings while pitching for an amazing team, right? That definitely helps to aid in his value as well. But I just don't know how far that's going to take you in 2024. I love him, but uh, I just don't think that I'll be able to do it this year. Let's talk about number 22 on this list, though, and that's Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett has become the face of consistency 
uh, over the last, I guess, five years or so, maybe six years, Chris Bassett, every year, and I've talked about this a lot with guys like Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, and those types on the hitting side, but in terms of a pitcher, like Chris Bassett, you can pretty much write down his stats in pen before the year starts, and you, you essentially know what you're going to get. If you look at his ERA going back every year now to 2018, in 2018 he only started seven games, but that was really the start of this run. He had a 302 ERA that was followed up by 381, 229, 315, 342, and 360. He's been so consistent. He has thrown nearly a thousand innings in his career, and we have a 3.49 ERA. This is across three different teams. He's been on three teams in three years. You know, that's something that isn't really looked at as much in baseball and fantasy. Maybe in the real baseball world, it's looked at a little more in fantasy. But to go to three different organizations in three years, have to learn three different staffs and three different complexes, new teammates, new everything, and to have success in all three of those locations, I think is incredibly impressive from Bassett. He reached 200 innings for the first time in his career this year at age 34. He's going to be 35 heading into next year, so he's not a young guy. But he was able to have the most innings pitched and the most games started of his career I think it's amazing what he's been able to do. Now, the strikeouts and walks are fairly average. What you're getting from him is pretty much right in line with league average. This year he was 22.5 on the K rate, 7.1 on the walk rate. You're looking at a 15.4 strikeout minus walk. He gave you a 1.18 whip as well. And overall, like we said, 22 on the season in terms of starting pitchers. It's hard to ask for more than that from Chris Bassett, who's a guy you were getting, <clears throat> excuse me, probably about pick 150, 160-ish last year. It does vary a little bit depending on when you drafted in your particular room, but I believe that was generally the ADP you were getting Bassett. And it's hard to argue with the return, right? He also gave you 16 wins after having 15 the year prior. He's just been someone that you've really been able to rely on the last couple of seasons, and it hasn't really cost you that much. Despite the fact, and it's understandable why it doesn't cost you that much. He's not going to be somebody who gets pushed up because there's not really that defining trait. He's not a massive strikeout guy. The team context is good, but it's not elite, elite. There's nothing really there that will push him way over the top. And we're seeing it again this year, even though he's just had a year where he's finishing inside of the top 100 on most player Raiders. He's number 70, according to Yahoo. And we're getting him at pick 139.8. It's essentially 140 on the ADP number there. Now, the minimum pick of 94 is probably a little bit rich, but that is an outlier. You're not paying top 100 prices for him really ever. That was one draft that happened, uh, when was this? This was October. This was right when the season ended, October 8th, he was taken there. Generally, at this point in time, you are seeing him go, you know, at highest, like 125, at the absolute highest. And a lot of the time, you are seeing... 157, 160, 147, 152. So you don't have to pay up for a guy who is still going to be pitching for a very good team. I know that it's not the team that I was hoping for, a lot of people were hoping for in Toronto, but it's still a very good team that should be in playoff contention. So you are going to have more win potential than the average pitcher. The strikeouts are fine, and he might be able to just volume his way to like 175, 180 projections, which I think you have to kind of be careful in terms of what they project for innings pitch, but they're calling for 194 innings. And after going 281 the last couple of years, it's hard to, to doubt that Bassett can really eat innings. He wants to stay in games just being in Toronto. I'm obviously going to be more in tune with the Toronto guys. I hear them go on local radio and stuff. Bassett is such a team player. He wants to stay in those games. 
He wants to go the extra inning. He wants to eat up as much as he can so he doesn't wear on the bullpen, and he will make those cases to the manager to stay in games longer and longer. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. But for an accumulator who is also a guy who is good on a ratio basis as well, it's hard to, to fault him for that, and it's hard to not want that kind of guy on your team. He's gone six shutout innings. He's got another one in him. He's going to push to go out there again. And again, sometimes that can hurt you. Sometimes you throw in six shutout, you go out for a seventh inning, you give up four earned runs, and then that ruins the whole line. But Bassett is a guy where you don't really so much have to worry about that. It was a couple of bad starts for him this year. And very notably, his first start as a Blue Jay was absolutely horrendous. Uh, his first start of the season against St. Louis. In St. Louis, he gave up nine earned runs in three and a third. And then he had one other start this season, actually two other starts where he got knocked around, one of them against Baltimore, one of them against Minnesota, eight and seven earned runs. Other than that, you're never really looking at him giving up more than three or four in a start. He's always given you those deep, deep outings. And let's listen to these innings pitch totals, right? Seven and two-thirds, six and two-thirds, seven, five and a third, eight, eight, five and two-thirds, six, six, seven, six, five, six. He's always going deep, so he is going to be the volume guy, but he's also going to be a guy that you can rely on on those per-inning basis as well, right? He's not just somebody where you, you need to have the volume. Like, even if he did pitch 130, 140 innings, you'd still be pretty good with that, right? He's not going to be somebody that is going to give you massive strikeout numbers, but I think in terms of everything else, Bassett is a really safe draft pick to go for, and like round nine, he's one of those boring players that we've talked about the last several years that, you know... He's not going to be pushed up because he's not the sexy name. He's not the Tariq Skubal. He's not the Grayson Rodriguez, the Nolan Jones type. But he's just a guy who's going to be sitting there in the same range he was last year, and he's giving you that same kind of production every single year. Will he eventually start to slow down? Yeah, but he's not there yet. He is definitely not there yet, especially after hitting that career high in innings pitched. I think Bassett has at least two or three more years of sub-four ERAs in him. I think you're probably looking at a 3.75-3.8 ERA at worst, to go along with everything else you're getting. So I'm a big fan, and I like him a lot where he is going. Uh, let's talk about the next one, and this is a bit of a sad tale, but we are going through the rankings, and this is who comes up next, and it's Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff, I don't know if people actually realize this year because he didn't pitch as much as anybody would have wanted to, how good he was on a per-inning basis. Brandon Woodruff threw only 67 innings. It was 11 starts. He had a 2.28 ERA. And yes, he overshot his supporting metrics a little bit, but he had a .82 whip. He had a 23.3 strikeout minus walk rate. The actual results were just incredible for Woodruff. And he was pitching, I'm not sure he was fully healthy at any point this season either, because right when the season ends, um, you know, he was non-tendered by the Braves, He's or the, excuse me, the Brewers. And Brandon Woodruff's actually a free agent. Now, I can't remember if it was a surgical procedure that he had to have. Um, there's been so much news this offseason. Um, but, yeah, it was a shoulder surgery that he had in the second week of October, and he is almost guaranteed to miss the entirety of 2024. So we're not going to be drafting him. Uh, if you want to take a chance, very late in draft and holds, and I guess I should see where he is going these days in a draft and hold format. I'm not really sure what the public thinks in terms of Brandon Woodruff at this point, but I can't really see there being that much interest. Is he still listed as a brewer is my question on NFBC, and he's – oh, yeah, he is. He is. So let me see where he's going in recent drafts. He's not really even being drafted at all, but every now and then in a draft champions format, we've seen him go in the 590 range, 665, 622. He went at 749 recently as well. 
So there are some people in those draft and hold formats who are taking a chance on Brandon Woodruff because maybe he does come back the last month of the season in that kind of format. You have no pickups. So if you do get even four Brandon Woodruff starts at the end of the year, that could be like the difference between winning a league and not winning a league. But I don't know if I could really get behind it. You know, in that kind of format, sure. I guess it doesn't really hurt you if it's, you know, literally 749 is the second to last overall pick in the draft at that point. It's very low likelihood of your 50th round pick giving you even one startable week during the year. It happens, but it's pretty rare. So I can understand taking Woodruff there. But for all of us who play at mostly 12-team leagues, even if you play in a standard 15-team league, whether it's waivers or fab or whatever, NFBC, Yahoo, there's no need to be drafting Brandon Woodruff. I'm very, very curious where he is going to sign. And you have to think he's getting a two-year deal. I think two years makes the most sense. This first year is going to be solely injury recovery. Maybe you get a couple starts at the end of the year. Hell, maybe if he signs with a team, that can be a potential playoff team. Maybe we see him in October. But really, this team, whoever signs him, is going to have to give him a two-year deal. And then in 2025, we'll have you know hopefully a healthy Woodruff where he can go out there in kind of a show-it season and then maybe get one more kind of nice-sized contract. He's going to be 31 years old heading into the beginning of this year. So you're looking at an age 32 season where let's say he gets back to form. Maybe you're looking at like a four-year deal where Woodruff can get himself really paid. You'd like to see it because really Woody has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the entirety of his career. He has been injured and it hasn't been something that you can say, okay, you're getting 180 Woodruff innings this year. In fact, he's never thrown 180. 179 is the most he's ever given us. But in those 680 career innings, you're looking at a 310 ERA with a 333 XFIP. He's special, and I really hope that we do get to see him again at some point um, reach those levels again. I'm not 100% sure we ever will, but I'm really hoping uh, that he signs on with a good pitching team that can maybe tinker with a couple things once he's healthy again, and maybe they can try and uh, keep him healthier going forward. But as we move on here to number 24, it is his former Brewers teammate, and that's Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta really had a huge bounce back season this year. If you were somebody who invested, it was probably frustrating at first because from what I recall, just pulling up the game log here and the splits for him, it was kind of a rough beginning of the year. And then the second half of the year for Freddie Peralta really turned it around. So he had a 377 ERA in April, and then in May it was 561. June it was 473. Did not look great, and honestly, in a lot of shallow leagues at that point, you would have been justified in probably dropping him with a 4-7 ERA through the first half of the year. A lot of people probably did in 10-teamers. And then July was 363, August 210, and September it was 338. So the second half ERA over 73 innings was 281. He was unbelievably dominant in the second half. Uh, if you look at first for second half splits for a lot of different metrics, uh, strikeout, minus walk rate in the first half. So 27% strikeout rate, 9.6% walk rate in the first half. That's a 17.4 strikeout minus walk in the second half, 36.3 on the strikeout rate, 5.6 on the walk rate. He increased his strikeout minus walk by 13.2%. His whip in the first half, 1.3. Second half, it was 0.88. Across the board, he was just absolutely dominant down the stretch. Now, over the course of the whole season, that equaled 30 starts, 165 innings with a 386 ERA for you and a 1.12 whip. That also was a 31K rate for the year and an 8% walk rate. So a 23% strikeout minus walk rate. We're looking at a very similar version of Freddie Peralta to what we had when he broke out in 2021. Now, 
Peralta is somebody that I honestly don't really know how to feel about because we have seen injuries throughout the career. We have seen the Brewers not really take the training wheels off ever. Uh, you know, he's only thrown this year was his career high, 165 innings, and it was 30 starts. It was pretty much a full season. But the Brewers are not a team where you're going to get that massive, massive volume. Uh, he threw seven innings one time this year. It was a lot of six and five inning starts, but he only threw seven innings one time. He's never going to be that massive volume guy. And when there is a lot of variance in the performance, you got to remember last year was was not good. And, you know, it has kind of gone back and forth a little bit. Last year, results-wise, were okay. It was a 3.58 ERA. It was actually better than this year, but the strikeouts were way down. And he's kind of bounced around in terms of what you can actually expect over the course of, you know, since he's broken out here, really, over the last three seasons. I don't know if Peralta is going to be able to to sustain 185, 190 inning workload ever. But if it's 165 dominant innings, it's okay. I just think that there's a lot of concern in my mind as to what the innings are going to look like from Freddie Peralta. Is it going to be that first half? Because again, we weigh the second half more more heavily than the first half. But we still have to look at the first half. It still did happen. It's still not very long ago as well. You're talking about you know, six months ago when this was happening, seven months ago, it's still very recent performance. And just because things did look better in the second half, that doesn't mean that's who that player is. It doesn't mean they're the player they were in the first half or the player that equaled out to the entire season combined. But we have to kind of look at everything and say, Peralta is a guy where you're probably looking at a three, seven, five to four range of ERA the strikeouts have bounced around, so I don't know what to expect there. It's gone from 33 to 27 to 31. Maybe it goes back down to 28% the strikeout rate, and maybe that walk rate bounces up to where it was a couple of years ago as well because, again, he has fluctuated a lot. I don't really know what I'm investing in. Now, that gets us to the price, and it's a top four-round ADP. It's 59.1. The minimum pick is 46. The maximum is 94. I can't get behind it, really. I... I I know that there's potential for him to really smash, and that strikeout rate, even with 165 innings, you got 210 Ks from him. But I don't think the team context is that great in Milwaukee, and I don't really trust Peralta in and of himself. So I just can't really see myself personally taking a guy with that much variance and that many questions inside of the top four rounds, or maybe it'll be the top five rounds depending on your league size. But I just, I just can't really get behind in this range, taking any of these pitchers that are going, really. Tariq Skubal, we talked about. I think he's a bit of a risk there. Freddie Peralta, Framber Valdez, Blake Snell. There's a lot of risky pitchers in this kind of range, and I'd much rather either take Aaron Nola at the front of it, go for one of the relief pitchers who are going in this range, like we've talked about, maybe an Iglesias, maybe a David Bednar, or go for someone else entirely. You got Logan Webb going at pick 67. You got Romano at pick 67 as well. There are options for you, and I don't think you need to be taking Freddie Peralta here. And the price, again, it's already the fourth round, and we're only in December. Like, if it becomes third round Freddie Peralta and he's, you know, your fantasy ace, I just don't think that you can really justify that. Again, I know the upside is massive, but I haven't seen the Brewers really, you know, take those training wheels off and being able to see him go like 175, 180. Maybe we'll see it this year, but I just don't have a lot of faith in the organization or the player. Even though I know that I could be burned here, I don't think it's going to hurt me that bad considering how expensive he is going to be. If I miss, I miss, but he's just not somebody that I really want to be investing in 
uh, this season. Let's talk about number 25, and that is Pablo Lopez. What a year he had. And again, another guy who did struggle to begin the year, but he turned it around, and once he did, it was to a whole other level where he was getting Cy Young votes and very much deserving of them. A 366 ERA, and that was the high mark in terms of all of the supporting metrics. It was uh, three on the dot XERA, 3.33 FIP, 3.28 XFIP, and his Sierra was 3.37. That also came with a 29.2 K rate and a 6% walk rate. You're looking at an elite, elite 23.2 strikeout minus walk rate for the year. It's hard to fault what you saw out of him down the stretch. I know that it was not a great first half, but in terms of what we saw down the stretch from him, I mean, he truly, like, at points it looked like he actually had a case for the Cy Young. He was he was that good. He did it over 194 innings. The strikeouts were just electric. We saw it down the stretch so many times where you're seeing these massive strikeout totals. He had 14 of them against the Mets in the last month of the season. We also saw 12. We saw 10 a couple times. Just massive strikeout totals. And he really helped that Twins team down the stretch to get into the postseason. Now, he's somebody that I'm going to be pretty damn interested in. He's always been really, really good, and he just seemed to unlock another level this year with the strikeouts. He'd been like a 24 to 27% guy. To get that up to 29 while lowering the walk rate is really, really impressive. To do it over 194 innings after throwing 180 last year shows that there is potential for durability, and I'm always a little bit cautious there because, again, previous health is not necessarily an indication of future health. I always use that phrase, but... He's healthy now, and he's shown you that he can handle the massive workloads pitching for one of the best teams, probably the best team in their division. I I think you got to really like what Pablo Lopez can give you. Now, you're going to have to pay for it this year. You haven't really had to pay for it in the past, but at this point, it's 46.4. So call it 46.5 or 47. You're paying probably late third, beginning of the fourth round price for him there. Minimum pick is 30, maximum of 75 for him. And you're pretty much always seeing him go in that 40 to 60 range. There's the odd outlier above and below, but that's pretty much the price you're paying there inside of the fourth round. And I think that you can definitely justify it, right? I've talked about how I'm going to be doing a bunch of different builds this year. And there'll be a build that I'm hoping that I can pull this off where I go batter, batter, and then like a Gosman, Pablo Lopez type for my first two aces. Because I think those guys are first round type of pitchers where not that they should be taken in the first round, but they can very easily return a first round valuation type of season considering the strikeout rates and good team context. And you're not paying that ridiculous first or second round price. You're talking third or fourth round. And again, I don't feel the need to take Lopez here, especially myself. I think I can draft pitchers in the 100s and 200s that are going to be, you know, 80% of guys that are going very high up because I trust myself personally with pitchers, but I don't think you can go wrong with Pablo Lopez. I think that he is personally, excuse me, for me, he is going to be a top five starting pitcher in 2024 in my rankings. He's going to be, I think probably fifth, maybe sixth, but he's right in that range there of the absolute best of the best in my eyes. I haven't updated my starting pitcher rankings in a little while. We're going to do that soon, but I think that that's probably where he's going to sit. And I think it's, it's really justifiable to take him where he's going which again is probably at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth round based on the current ADP we're seeing. Let's move to number 26 now. Is it 26? It is. And it's Tyler Glass now. 
We've talked about him a little bit recently because of the trade that happened with the Dodgers, the contract extension. So we don't need to go too too deep here because uh, we have talked about him recently. But Tyler Glass now, skills-wise, is a top-five starting pitcher in all of baseball. His team context just got better. Tampa, I don't know what Tampa's doing, really, and I don't know that they're going to be able to continue this kind of magical run if they start shedding off pieces. They've been able to kind of make this work for a while now, but without Franco, without Glass now, they've talked about trading a Rosarena. I don't know what this team's going to look like. you got to think that the team context going to the Dodgers, the team that also just got Shohei Otani, has just now you know shot through the roof. Now, he already had a very high win percentage in terms of games started last year. 10 wins in 21 starts. You're probably not going to do better on a percentage basis than that. You know, winning almost half your starts is pretty rare. But you could definitely see it pitching for the Dodgers, and especially if Glasnow stays healthy. He could legitimately be the number one pitcher in fantasy. He could rival Tyler, uh, excuse me, he could rival Spencer Strider for that number one type of spot. If you want to say Cole or you want to say Gosman, Wheeler, whoever, he could be right there in that group if he's able to give you 150, 160 innings. And that's all it would really take, right? He had a 3.53 ERA last year, but the 2.91 FIP and the 2.75 XFIP will tell you that it probably should have even been better than that. That's how good he is. The Sierra was 3.08. Obviously, the strikeouts are a huge, massive plus with him there. He is in the elite rarefied air of 25% K minus walk rate. It was 33.4 on the K, 7.6 on the walk. That is ridiculous. If you're able to take glass now, then I understand the allure of him. If you're able to, you are you are able to. Obviously, if you if you punch down on the draft button, I'm not going to fault you for it. It is going to be expensive, and it's going to be super expensive, especially now that he is with the Dodgers. Now that he is signed, you're going to see him push up into the second round, and that's where I probably tap out. Right again, I think I can find guys a little bit later on. I'll take Pablo Lopez around later, or I'll take Gosman in that same range where I don't have to worry so much about the injury history. And I've already said with Glass. Now I said it the other day that I'm going to give him and guys like him the benefit of the doubt where there is you know, a history of injuries, but they're currently healthy. That's good, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt there, but that doesn't mean I'm going to favor them over a guy who has been predominantly healthy in their career, like a Lopez, like a Gosman. So I'll take Glass now probably once or twice this year, but if this price continues to push up the way that we're generally seeing, it's it's been gradual, but it is it's definitely noticeable. You know, if he starts going inside of the top 30 picks routinely, then that's where I probably have to wave the flag of surrender and say, I, I can't do it. Third round, I'll take a chance once, maybe twice, because I do think that we could probably see 140, 150 innings. And that's all it will take, really, for Glass now to, to give you a first round SP type of season. But I think for those of you who do play in one league and want to play it safe, don't want to take chances because, you know, it's, it's your one league. You don't want to mess around too much. I don't know that I'd want to be taking a guy that high up where there is even a slight chance of injury. I know there's a slight chance of injury with everybody, but again, if you're taking a guy where there is more of a past, obviously there is going to be more of a risk for for a relapse, right? And again, it's all random. It's totally random. We could have a fully healthy guy, first game of the season, whoever it is, get a comebacker off the leg, the leg's broken, season's done. Hit, hit by a pitch in the back of the head, concussion, season's done. What You know, you see these crazy things, but... Overall, uh, I think you have to still, even though I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, have to take the guy who has been healthy, all things being equal, and set yourself up for a little bit more success You know, in the long run, especially for a volume player. You're taking the healthier guys for the, for the majority of their career. Usually that's going to pay off for you. 
But let's move on. Let's talk number 27, and now we enter into the obscure range a little bit with Michael Waka. Now, he got here with 14 wins, a 322 ERA, 124 Ks over 134 innings. We talked about him recently as well because of his recent contract with the Kansas City Royals. I don't think that you can really get too excited about Michael Waka. He's not going to be a guy who's expensive at all, and you could take a chance on him, and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. Again, he's going to pick 270, uh, 272, and the range is 193 to 341. So you're not talking expensive, but you're also not talking a guy who has a great history himself. You're talking over the last three years, 24, 23, and 23 games started. He's never thrown more, well, not for a long time anyway, uh, 180 innings, that was back in 2015. We saw 165 back in 2017. Other than that, you're looking at a lot of time missed over the years. You're looking at a guy who has outshot his advanced numbers pretty much every year, but specifically these last two years, which have been really good for him, which got him paid 11-2 and record in 2022 with a 332 ERA. And then this year, 11 or 14-4 and with a 322 ERA. He got himself paid. He got himself $16 million a year, which is very good. Good for him. But he's somebody that's probably like a 4.5 ERA type of guy. Between 4 and 4.5, roughly. I don't I don't say that's gospel. He could have a 3.96. He could have a 4.23. But I think true skills-wise, and that's kind of what Sierra generally tells you, it was 4.43. So you're not getting a guy who is going to be able to probably eat too many innings and on a per-inning basis isn't going to be able to really be relied upon, I don't think. You're looking at a 22.4 K rate, 7.8 walk rate. There's not a lot you can really look at there in terms of stability. I just think that there's probably better options you can you can go for. And again, he's not expensive. I'd pick 272. It's not really going to hurt you at that point. If you're talking 12-teamers, that's kind of like your last pick-ish. Yeah, you know, twelve-team Yahoo type of league. You're usually talking about 270 players drafted. I just don't know that he's going to be somebody that is really of interest to me at all. You know, in that kind of 270 range, you can find guys like you know even Jose Abreu, Chris Bryant, Alejandro Kirk. You got Kenta Maeda, uh, Yusei Kikuchi. I just think there are better upside plays that you can be going for in that type of range where I don't really have to worry. Um, about the lack of volume, about about a lot of different things, about lack of upside, too, as well. Pitching for Kansas, I mean, they're going to be terrible. Again, they're going to lose a lot of games. You're going from situations where he has you know, had a lot of fantasy value in part because of the win total. You're not going to see that in Kansas City. So I think that we can all pretty happily just be fading Michael Waka and not really have to worry about him uh, for this upcoming year. Let's move on to number 28. Let's talk Eduardo Rodriguez. First of all, I have no idea what went through his mind at the trade deadline when he declined to be traded to the Dodgers from the freaking Tigers. Okay, He could have gone from the Tigers to the Dodgers, and he declined that trade in part because people said he wanted to be closer to his family or East Coast or whatever. Okay, fine, respect it, whatever. He wants to be on the East Coast, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He signed with the Diamondbacks. He went out to the West Coast anyway. The Dodgers got to hate him, especially seeing how their pitching went in the playoffs. But regardless, it's Eduardo Rodriguez. I don't think that he is all that, really. He had a good season, and we'll talk about it here. 26 starts, he went 13-9 and nine with a 330 ERA and a 115 whip. It was the best season of his career, I would say. You might argue one of the Red Sox seasons, but, I mean, you can maybe say 2019, but in all honesty, this was probably a better year from him. 
Um, 26 starts is a good number that he hit. Now, I, I've always been kind of an Eduardo Rodriguez hater. I just don't think there's really a hell of a lot he does for you from a fantasy point of view. At least in Boston, he gave you good strikeout numbers. You're looking at 25.8, 26.4, 24.8, 27.4 on the K rates. And the last two years, we're looking at 18.4 and 23. So you're not even getting those plus Ks anymore. You're getting kind of average Ks. You got a good whip this year because the walk rate was a little bit lower. But generally speaking, you're still talking about a pretty average walk rate guy. You got the 330 ERA, but that came with the supporting metrics of a 4.06 XFIP, 3.66 FIP, which are not bad, right? But he's just not somebody that... I don't I think should have got $20 million, you know, 4.26 Sierra. I, it just feels like a kind of a bad investment for the Diamondbacks. Now, they've had struggles over the last couple of years with some pitching depth, and he does provide that. But this seems like kind of an overpay for a guy who is probably true talent, like a four to four and a half ERA with league average strikeout and walk numbers. I just don't think that he is really that appealing. There's also been some off-field stuff where you're not 100% sure. Like, he just disappeared in the middle of – uh, 2022 season because there were some problems that he was having or whatever. He missed half the year, you know, and, I, and that didn't really happen this year. Of course, he threw 26 games. He was healthy. He was good, but there's that unpredictability factor with him still to go along with the performance that isn't exactly sterling. And I just don't really want to take him inside of the top 200 picks. 192 is the ADP with a revolting minimum of 78 and a maximum of 242. That 78 was just one random person in the middle of November, uh, November the 7th. That's when that happened. Most of the time, all of the time, you're not seeing that. But it's still too expensive for me inside of the top 200 picks. I just don't think there's a hell of a lot of upside there in any form. There's nothing that I can really bank on with Eduardo Rodriguez. It's not Ks. It's probably not wins. The ratios are up and down. There's nothing really here for me, especially with the price he's going. So, he had a good season, but I think we're going to have to definitely be a fade on Eduardo Rodriguez. Let's go to 29 and talk about somebody else that we have mentioned pretty recently because there was some awful news that we got about him, and this is, of course, Max Scherzer. He's going to be out until either June or July at the earliest after undergoing surgery. Uh, this was to repair a herniated disc in his back. He didn't think it would be this bad. He thought he'd be okay, wouldn't need to go through surgery, thought he'd be good to start the season. That is not the case. So Max Scherzer becomes a guy where I think he's honestly pretty undraftable at this point. Uh, people are still going to be drafting him. And again, I'm not talking about your draft and hold leagues because that's a whole different animal. And he's being drafted in those leagues. The recent ones, 313, 339, 283, 255, and 217. Those are too high up for me. And I'm, I'm assuming those are draft and hold leagues where he is being taken in those numbers. Now, let's say he comes back in July. You're missing April, May, and June, and then let's say part of July. So you're getting less than half of a season from Max Scherzer. And you could argue that might be really, really good. But we've also seen the numbers deteriorate these last few years. The durability has not been there. So even if he comes back, Who's to say he is going to stay back, right? We're talking about a guy who had always been 200-plus innings over the last two years, throw 145 and 152. We've seen a guy who has always been a 30% K-rate guy, well above it, really, especially over the last several years, 34, 34, 35, 31, 34. Now be 30 and 28 the last two seasons, and we saw the walk rate bounce up to 7.2%, a number we haven't seen him hit literally 
since 2010. We have seen him in the high sixes, low sevens, but we haven't seen him reach a number that high in 13 years. Max Scherzer is not who he once was. The whip was at 1.12, the opposing batting average 2.20, the supporting metrics on the ERA, even though the ERA was good at three, well, pretty good at 3.77, which again, it's Max Scherzer 3.77. It's a bit of a red flag. You're looking at a 4.02 xFIP, a 4.32 FIP, and a Sierra of, uh, well, 3.77. I thought the Sierra was the reverse one. I thought the Sierra was, uh, was a little bit higher. But regardless, it's not Max Scherzer-esque. And that price for a guy who's out half the year, <clears throat> like most of the time you'd see that, you wouldn't even draft the guy. The only reason we are there is a, honestly like a respect thing for Max Scherzer. Well, you know, I, he's Max Scherzer, right? So I'll draft him here because once he comes back, he's still going to be Scherzer. You got to remember, Scherzer's going to be, by the time he comes back, his birthday's July, he'll be 40 years old probably, <clears throat> right around the next time he throws a major league pitch. And that's assuming everything goes correctly here. And that's, you know, kind of assuming a lot for a guy who's going to be 40 years old, who has a hell of a lot of innings. We talked about how many innings Verlander has. Scherzer's right there as well, 2,800 innings for his career, which spans back to 2008. He's been around for a very, very long time. I think we're at the end now. I think the old guard is kind of just going to be done after this year. Scherzer and Verlander will not be guys that I don't think will be playing after the season. This will probably be it. I believe both of their contracts expire after this year. It makes sense for them to retire. I just don't think that they can be considered the assets that they once were, especially Scherzer having, you know, going to miss half the season. I just don't think that you can really expect much. He already didn't give you not it was still good production but it wasn't amazing production right we're talking about 152 innings which is a good majority of a season and Max Scherzer was the 29th SP so he's not the guy that you are thinking you're getting even if you're getting him a pick 250 300 I think it's a little bit too risky and for me it's going to have to be a pass we are down now to just number 30 and that will be Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly comes in as the number 30 SP on the season, according to Yahoo's rankings. I am honestly not really 100% sure what I think yet. And I did talk about Merrill Kelly in one of my ADP fade shows that we did, I want to say, two weeks ago. I'm not fully 100% sure what to make of him because I really don't think that he is as good as what we have seen these last two years, which has been honestly like, pretty elite stuff. We saw 200 innings in 2022. We saw 177 this year, 25 wins combined over those last two years and a 337 and 329 ERA respectively. Like that's, that's a hell of a lot. You know, strikeout rate went from 19 to 22 up to 26% over the last three seasons. Now the walk rate has also gone up, but you have kind of offset those walks with the strikeouts. The whip has only gone from 1.14 to 1.19 He's pitching for a good team, but I don't think that we can expect this kind of low threes ERA from Merrill Kelly again. <clears throat> His supporting metrics probably should tell you a four-ish ERA, 3.75 to four. You're looking at a 4.13 X ERA, a 3.83 X FIP, and a Sierra of 4.12. Now, the projections for next year from Steamer have him going for a 4.18 ERA and a 1.1, or excuse me, and a 1.33 whip. It just feels a little bit pricey for somebody that I don't really have that faith in. And the price would suggest that I need to have the faith in him there at 152. 97 minimum and 205 on the maximum. The 97 is a bit of an outlier, but that was fairly recently. And it was also accompanied by a 123 just a week later. So there are people who are pushing Merrill Kelly a little bit. 
I just can't get behind it. I think that the price is too high, right? He's pushing inside of the top 100. That's uh, I, I don't think he'll get there necessarily, but if he's anywhere close to that type of range, I just think that we're probably going to end up being disappointed. He's going in the same range as some guys that I like a lot more. You know, we talked about Chris Bassett. He's going about 10 picks earlier. I definitely, definitely take Chris Bassett there. You know, you got Michael King, who you can take a chance on, who I don't really know how I feel yet, but... You could just make just as much of a case for Michael King, probably if not more than Merrill Kelly, considering the upside. There are a lot of position players going in this range that I think can make a lot of noise this year as well. Gabriel Moreno is going to be really, really solid, I think, and in a two-catcher league, this price is really reasonable to be paying for him. You got the upside of Zach Geloff and Yandy Diaz, Anthony Volpe and Josh Naylor, Francisco Alvarez as well. It's kind of a deep range, and I don't feel the need to risk it with a, a guy like Merrill Kelly, who's older than you guys probably think. Merrill Kelly is 35 years old. He doesn't have a lot of experience in the bigs, only since 2019, but that's because he was in Korea until he was 30 years old. So he's not the youngest guy. There's not a hell of a long track, a hell, hell of a longest track. I am tripping over my words here. He does not have the longest track record. Of success, it's a couple of good years, but you got to remember the year before that was a 444 ERA. He has kind of bounced around a little bit in terms of what you can expect, and I don't think you can just write down that, yeah, it's going to be a sub 3.5 ERA again from Kelly with another 13 wins. We might be playing with fire drafting him inside of the top on top 150, especially with the way that seems to be even pushing up a little bit. If he's 120, 130, there's just no chance I can take him. If he has fallen to like outside the top 200 in your room, then I... I don't have any problem with it. I think at that point, then you can take a shot. But based on the early ADP, that doesn't seem like it's going to be terribly realistic. 205 was the maximum pick, and that only happened. Uh, there was only two drafts where he fell outside of the top 200. One of them was 200 on the button, and the other one there, 205. So it's probably going to be too pricey for me on the Merrill Kelly front this year. But that will do it, guys. That will do it for the top 30 now starting pitchers we have gone over. Hope you guys are enjoying the shows. If you are, let me know by hitting the five-star rating and review button. That would go a long way into helping us out over here. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but that is one of the things that really helps the show to grow. It helps the algorithm. However, the algorithm does work. I'm really not 100% sure that's above my pay grade. But if you guys do hit that five-star button, leave a couple of kind words in the review section, that does go a long way. So make sure you guys are doing that. If you haven't already, check us out over on socials. That's JoeOrico99. That is Ethos Fantasy BB and, of course, SportsEthos.com, the website. You guys can check all of that out. And we are going to be back here tomorrow to wrap up the week. We'll do 10 more starting pitchers. We'll go 31 through 40. And then next week, Monday is Christmas. We'll do a short show, talk about a couple of early ADP presents. We'll give you some Christmas presents there on the show. And then we will talk the rest of the week or for at least part of the week about some pitchers. Again, we are going to continue. We're going to wrap up the year with pitchers. And that will wrap up our reviews. We'll finish off 2023 with the reviews being in the rear view. Maybe, maybe somebody will sign and give us something to talk about you know, it's been real frustrating not seeing players sign, but we will see them come eventually. And when that does come, we'll be here to talk about it. So appreciate everybody hanging out. Of course, go check us out on socials and all that stuff. But until tomorrow, guys, take care. Have a great night. Cheers. Cheers.